Hi, I'm Audrey Bellis, and you're listening to Brown Girls Rising, a worthy women podcast in partnership with Nylon Español. We tell stories about fierce femme leaders and activists of color bettering our worlds. Let's get started. We are here today with Joy Riley from the Love Jays and Married Millennials podcast. Welcome, Joy. Hello, and thank you for having me. It is exciting. I love when we get somebody else on the show who also does a podcast. Yes. <laughs> I mean, not that all of our other guests, we love y'all. Love y'all. I mean, you guys are amazing conversation, but there's something about our fellow podcast host guests where you're We're like- We're a family. We, we understand each other. Oh, we absolutely do. And, yeah. you know, we get the mic thing, where mm-hmm. to position it, all mm-hmm. that stuff. Um so, Joy, for our listeners who aren't familiar with you, tell us a little bit about the Love Jays and the Married Millennial Podcast. Okay, so the Love Jays. It started back in 2012. I had a friend at work, and she was having some guy issues, and I was doing my best to talk her through it, but I realized that I didn't have, I, I couldn't articulate everything I wanted to articulate, and I said, I think it would kind of be helpful if you talk to my, well, my husband, but at the time he was my boyfriend, I if you'd be down, would you like to come over and, <laughs> and talk to my boyfriend about this? And she said, actually, I kind of would. So she came over and we were both giving our, our perspective and they were more or less the same. We had the same conclusion, but a different route to get there. Mm. And she was able to take the things that we said and apply them. And she said, you know, you guys should think about doing this. And we're like, mm, maybe we will. <laughs> so we started a blog and people would send in questions and we would uh, respond from the male and female perspective. Right. And then we took a break from that. Justin was actually, Justin's my husband. Uh, he was unemployed for a little bit. So, and when your relationship is your business, <laughs> yes, you kind of have to, you have to take a breather. So, uh, yeah, he was unemployed for a little bit and I was making $10 an hour at the time and we were living in a studio apartment. I mean, it was just one thing on top of another. And then we just, we couldn't maintain. We had to let, we had to let Love Jays go for a little bit. So we did, uh, we, Move, ended up moving. We got dogs. We got engaged. We were both gainfully employed and we wanted to bring Love Jays back. But we said, hey, you know, let's do something a little different this time. The The blog was great, but Justin wasn't enjoying writing every week. And I love writing. I'm a writer. But I... I was having a hard time committing the time to do that as well. So we decided, let's kind of take it to the audio side of things and explore podcasts. That way we could really, you have to speak differently via writing or, you know, audio, right? Right. You, you, ideas come across differently. So we decided from there to start the podcast and that's when the podcast was born and we decided to call it Married Millennials because- You are. Yeah, exactly. That's who we are, that, but that's not who everyone we speak to has to be. Right. Oh, I love that. You know, Worthy Women. So Worthy Women is our company. We do diversity and inclusion work for Mm -hmm. women's empowerment. Mm -hmm. And Brown Girls Rising is a podcast project underneath Worthy Women. Mm -hmm. The second Worthy Women event we ever did when we were testing content was called Worthy Women. And no, it was... Worthy Women presents something like partnerships and well, I'm, I'm screwing it up, but basically the premise of it was about <laughs> yeah. partnerships uh-huh. and we wanted to explore what does it mean? Like, how do you navigate things when you're friends with your business partner or mm-hmm. your friends first and then you become business partners right. or what do you do when your business partner is also your life partner and vice versa, yeah. right? That's a whole different experience. In yeah. fact, you know, Getting up with somebody every day, like moving in together, mm-hmm. that's a whole special experience. Yes. I'm facing that right now. It's special. Oh, it's special. <laughs> and then, you know, we're talking about things like going into the office together. So working mm-hmm. out of the same office. So mm-hmm. you're getting up together. You're living together. You're going to work together. You're just always together. Mm-hmm. And for me, who is somebody that's very much about my lonesome, yeah. I like it that way. Oh, girl, me too. I love alone time. I'm passionate about it, actually. It's different. Mm-hmm. It's different. You know. In fact, as I was getting ready to have you on this, mm-hmm. I was peeping on your latest episode mm-hmm. with and you had this awesome line on the on the cover shot of it and it was growing individually together. Mm-hmm. And I know for me, this is the first time in my life um, where I'm in a relationship that I'm doing that. Yes. 
And together where we're both, you know, we talk about partnerships, worthy partnerships. Yes. Somebody that's not only empowering your success and supporting your shine. And that's a big thing, right? Mm -hmm. Supporting your shine, especially in the feminist movement, because we get a lot of experiences where people go, oh, you're trying to outshine me. Like it's competitive. Mm -hmm. Like, no, I'm just doing me. Yeah. You do you. Let's do us together. together. Yes. 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 I, you know, it's really interesting because I hear a lot of um, women say, I want to be an independent woman. So I, woman, so I don't want to be in a relationship. And that tells me that you don't get it because you don't have to, first of all, you should never be with a man who doesn't understand that as well. If a man, if you feel like in order to be in a relationship, you can't be who you are, you can't be the best version of yourself, then you're not, you don't need to be in a relationship because if you don't. You need to fix the one that you have with yourself first. hundred percent. And I I preach that all the time. I'm all about self-love. Take care of yourself. Figure out where you want to go. And, and once you do that, you can figure out how you fit in or how you can live alongside somebody else. I don't think you need to live for somebody or even just with somebody. You need to live alongside somebody, but you don't yep. need to share a life. I, I look at my marriage very much as we are both guests. We, we guest star in each other's lives, but mm-hmm. we're not the star of each other's lives. Like I love that. Yeah, Justin is my guest star. I am his guest star. And I tell him all the time, you need to go after what you want. And I'm here to uh, assist him and facilitate in any way I can. And he needs to do the same for me. I expect nothing less. So I'm sorry that I <laughs> I feel like I went on a tangent. What, no, what, but, what was the actual question? But we were talking about partnerships, right? And the fact that you guys are able to do that together. I mm-hmm. think for you and I, statistically, Latinas and African-American women are most likely to be single mothers. Mm -hmm. And what do we hear? I mean, even myself, I grew up in a mixed household. My mom is Mexican. My dad's Italian. Mm -hmm. And I distinctly remember hearing from family members, don't, you know, you're judged if you don't date Latino guys. But then they also tell you like, oh, look at you. You married married a white guy or Mm -hmm. you're hanging out with a white guy. You're doing something other who doesn't get us, who doesn't speak Spanish, who doesn't all these things. And you judge them for that. Right. And yet you're also telling me on the other, you know, on the other side of your mouth, I Latino men are so machismo. They're never going to support you. Mm -hmm. Right. Most likely to be single mothers, most likely to hear about partnerships of men who aren't going to stick around for you through the hard times. Right. right? Well, and so to that, I want to say, any type of man who's not going to stick around is not going to stick around. Whether you're white, black, Latino, you're not going to stick around. I think that yeah. what people need to look for is character and not necessarily. I I think cultural or culture is important. You know, I'm, I am also married to a black man. I'm married to a man who understands my experience. And I do love that. But I don't think that it is necessary. Yeah. I don't think it's like, okay, well, you can't date anyone else because I, I think that everyone should be searching for character. Again, looking for somebody who's going to support you, uh, support support your aspirations and encourage you and be a partner, but also have their own thing going on. And somebody who recognizes your value, I think that's important. So first of all, if you don't recognize your value, right, no one else is going to see it. But if you recognize it, then you are less likely to allow somebody into your life who doesn't. That's right. And if they do, they're not going anywhere <laughs> because you're awesome and you're going to be about it and they're going to be about it with you. So I, you know, I don't, it's hard to say that all black men or Latino men or whatever are just going to be a certain way. Cause I, I just, I do understand that statistically it's a thing. I, I do understand that, but I do think that that probably has to do with a lot, a lack of <sighs> role models. Yes. I'll tell you right. what, something that you just said that really stands out to me, you talked about values, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You're valuing yourself mm-hmm. first, mm-hmm. and then you're creating boundaries about what you will not put up with mm-hmm. in somebody else and holding other people to the expectations that you would honor for you. Exactly. You're not asking people to step up in ways that you're not doing for yourself. You're starting 100%. with you first, and mm-hmm. that is critical. I think what I love the most about your podcast is you two both exploring things from a different perspective, Mm -hmm. but showing millennials, us, how to be role models in relationship and in of service to a partner Mm -hmm. because we only exist in partnership to other people. And, you know, time and time again, we're looking at things like 
research that's coming out, uh, stuff that Simon Sinek has written. Mm -hmm. And everybody's talking about how this is the worst dating generation so far because we live on apps, right? We can swipe to the next person. You don't, Mm -hmm. I don't like you today. I can swipe you tomorrow. I can ghost you. I can be disparaging on social media. I can trash you. Mm -hmm. I can do all kinds of things in ways that previous partnerships could not do, Mm -hmm. right? And at the same time, have you read Hannah Rosen's The End of Men? I haven't. Oh, no. my gosh. It's amazing. I've talked about must it here. Read. It is a must read. I've talked about it here on the podcast before. Hannah Rosen founded the Double X blog for Slate. Okay. And she wrote this phenomenal book called The End of Men mm-hmm. and the Rise of Women. And mm-hmm. it's very much about how women, in trying to become the men that we have wanted in our lives, mm-hmm. we emasculate men and therefore are failing in our partnerships. Right. We're not getting what we want out of them <laughs> because we can't get it from them. Yeah. But they don't know how to provide it to us because we're not communicating. Right. And when we talk about role models, you two absolutely are showing millennials what it is like to be to be role models in the form of communication, transparency in today's digital and relationship world. Right. I, You know, I feel for people that are out there dating now or, you know, swiping left and right. And because I, I you'll find that I circle back to this all the time is that I, I'm finding people like to say millennials are lazy. And the one point that I do agree with on that end is that I think that, and I think people are lazy in this way is that they don't want to work on themselves. They don't want to do the work because it's painful. It's hard. No one wants to say, well, I don't like this about myself. And let me tell you this, self-love and self-acceptance, it doesn't mean that you're perfect. It means that you accept yourself flaws and all. I can say, okay, there are things that I don't like about me, but also I don't let them just sit there. I have yep. to work on them. And that sucks. God, it's so it's hard. Uh, and so I, I think that dating is hard because you have this group of people who are, we are, we're young. We're still figuring ourselves out. We're not working on ourselves. And then we're looking for someone to come in who's perfect or, you know, who who fits this unrealistic expectation of a person that I've built in my head. Right. And then you're you're failing, right? Or, or everyone's going to fail everybody because these people don't exist. And even the people that should exist, the people that are whole and working on themselves, they're not there either. So we're just kind of, we're void of realness right now. There's, yes. No one's real. We are. A question for you. Mm-hmm. How has your audience shifted from when you were the original Love Jays to where you are now? Mm. And how has it changed how you view yourself as a leader and the content that you curate? Because you've grown significantly since those early times. You guys have been through hardships and stuck it out. Right? right? Key word here, because a lot of people will bounce when it's easy. I sit here, I'm telling you, again, I say this ever since the song came out. If Drake's fake love could be my walk-up <laughs> anthem everywhere I go. That's right. I, that's you, that's your song. That is my song. Where I sit here and I'm like, are you going to ride for me? Mm-hmm. Like, are you going to ride or die for me? Yeah. So few of you will, yeah. right? Like, where is the loyalty? Maybe it's because I grew up in like, you know, my gangster phase. Like, right. <laughs> you were blood in, blood out. That's it. There was no, right. you were just going to do it and that was it. Yeah. You were going to suffer through it. Right. You weren't going to bounce. The ride or die. I remember we were in college. I mean, I grew up super sheltered. I mean, so sheltered. And uh, Justin asked me like, I'm looking for my ride, ride or die. Are you a ride or die? And I'm like, I, I guess like, what does that even oh mean? My God. Can, I didn't know. <laughs> can I tell you if I can interrupt for a second, yeah. Randy, you might know this story to our listeners. Randy is our producer and sound engineer listening to us and participating on this show. And Randy, you may remember this. I went to a party in the hood when I was in college mm-hmm. with a college friend and this guy was standing next to me. He was flirting with me. And he's like, hey, girl, where you stay at? And I was like, right here. I'm right here. And he's like, no, no, where you stay at? And I'm like, right here. I'm standing right here. I stay right here. And he's like, where are you from? And I was like, oh, I'm from Long Beach. And he's like, I could tell. Oh, no. So talk about sheltered for yes, as like thug yeah. life as I was. Right. I still had some level of shelteredness where I was like, right. That doesn't even make sense where you stay at. Yeah. Who says that? Right. Yeah, no, I get I get that. Do you really? Randy just admitted he said it today, You're not y'all. Supposed to end a sentence with at ever, but we'll leave it alone. Where you stay at, where you be at. Uh yeah, actually some guy asked me if I was a pair one day. And I didn't know. I didn't know what it meant. I don't know what that means. And mind you, it's so it's like a Coke bottle body. Oh. Yeah. He's like, oh, are you a pair? We were on the phone. And I don't even know. I think it was like my cousin's Why would friend. that ever be appropriate to ask somebody? It's not. You like mean girls. 
I, you yes. know, I'm passionate about Mean Girls. It's like, it was very much of a, uh, like, would you like your muffin buttered moment? I was like, what? I love you oh, a no. little more just because yeah. you said you like Mean Girls. Oh, no, it's one of my favorite movies, and I wore just a little bit of pink for yes. you today. and it's Wednesday, people. Yes. It is Wednesday, because on Wednesdays, we wear pink. Yes. I came prepared. Oh, I love that. But I was distracting you. I'm sorry. No, it's Back okay. to what I was asking. You were saying he asked you um, if, oh, if you I ride, or, ride die. or die. But before that, we were talking about, oh, I wanted to talk about the trenches, people who are there for you in the hard times. It was through those hard times. I know that Justin decided he wanted to marry me and even moving in together. So when we started, we had this whole blog post on how you shouldn't move in together before you're married or engaged, right? Like, unless you know this is going to be a forever thing, you shouldn't do that. Yes. Because <laughs> we were like 23 and just, or maybe 22, whatever. Idealistic. We're, yeah, we're just like, exactly. So we wrote this whole blog post about like, yeah, maybe not. And when he was unemployed, so he had moved into, he was working with a startup and it was very much like the the movie, The Social Network, like they had the house. It was really cool. Well, the company went under and he had given up his apartment, so he came to stay with me in my studio for a little bit. And once he was there, it was kind of like, well, you can't – it would be weird for you to move out. It, even though he never officially moved in, he was living out of a bag. He had his shoes in the car. And we actually had a radio show at this time, too. We were working for a internet radio station. So every week we were going to record a, a, a radio show, but we were – I mean, miserable. So we're working together, not getting paid for for Love Jays or, you know, he, he was unemployed and I'm making my $10. We're living in a studio. It was awful. But during that time, we didn't turn on each other. Like mm. we were very, except for one time, he did say, <laughs> I'm throwing him under the bus. He said, I don't understand how me being unemployed and feeling the way that I'm feeling is affecting you. You have a job. And I'm like, okay, but if you're hurting and miserable, then I'm going to be hurting and miserable because that's how... It's the shared experience of yeah. what you're bringing to the table, which is your misery. Exactly. And I'm living through. Yes. But besides that, like we really gripped onto each other during that time and pressed forward. You know, I nudged him. I told him I came home and I was like, you know, you're, you're going to have to figure something out. I'm done with your wallowing. You got to figure something out. I came home one day and I was extremely grumpy and he just looked at me and he said, you have to find a new job now. And I, you know, yeah, like straight up. And he was right. He was completely right. It wasn't, you know, uh, tell me what to do. But for my own well-being, I had to do it. And and I don't know. I just think it's so important to have a partner like that who's going to pull your card when you need it. It doesn't mm. mean I, you should always be kind to one another, but you don't always have to be nice, if that makes sense. Don't be afraid to hurt your partner's feelings. Oh, yeah. Because otherwise, you're literally pussyfooting around things that need yeah. to be said. And yeah. This is what I like that. I yeah. like pulling your card on your partner mm -hmm. because sometimes you have to. Yeah. And it's meant with the best intentions. Mm -hmm. Right. It is meant with I'm telling you what is not easy to say because other people won't tell you. But I tell you because I love you. Mm -hmm. And that is that is critical. Um, I want to shift gears just a little bit and ask you. This is Brown Girls Rising. Yes. What does it mean to be a brown girl to you? And do you identify yourself as a brown girl? Um. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, <laughs> it would be hard not to, right? I you know, I almost put in my bio, Joy is a magical black girl, because that's genuinely how I feel. I love being black. I mean, I guess mainly I identify as black, but black and brown are one in the same in my head. Yeah. Um, General women of color. Yeah. You identify as a woman of color on this podcast, right. then we want you. Yes. Yeah. There. I mean, it would be silly for me to be like, no. <laughs> <laughs> you would be looking at me like, oh, okay. Uh, yeah. I, I'm, my relationship with being black is that I love it. I've always loved being black. My parents were great about instilling that in me from a very young age. Even I remember every February, my mom would do black history lessons with us. Like we'd come home Ooh. from school and do black history lessons. So they didn't depend on the educational system to inform us of our, our history and ancestry. It was very much like, this is, these are your roots. This is where you come from. And this is why you should love yourself. And I'm infinitely grateful um, for my parents for that. And even down to understanding my place in society, it was never that I was less than, but they did explain to me that I might have a harder time sometimes because of certain things. And right. But I never viewed it as a disadvantage. I, I was just, I guess, very fortunate. And that doesn't mean that I haven't had experiences. And it's funny because I'm more 
quote unquote traumatized by the experiences I had as a young person than I was at the time because I understand the gravity yes. of them. I, I remember in um, I was in second grade. This is the strangest thing. So also on a girl level, right? You can relate. Being yeah. a young girl on the playground is just not great. No. <laughs> in fact, we were just talking about this in our last recording. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were talking about PE and I was saying how I got my period very early. And mm. I distinctly remember being in PE, being in the locker room, being on the playground and right. being pointed out because I had big boobs and nobody else had gotten their yes. period yet that mine bounced when I moved yes. and everybody knew mm-hmm. it was it was obvious. I was yeah. overly sexualized. Yes. Um, and that was a very traumatizing experience. So yeah. as young women, there are a lot of things you're going to. You want to add being a person of color on top of it right. in today's <laughs> ignorance. Like, oh. That's a, I remember uh, Rachel Dolezal when she came out and she was like, "Oh, I can't believe she's still relevant." I it's really and I hate even saying her name because I don't like if you don't know who she is, don't give her the satisfaction of googling her. Just leave it alone. But I felt so offended because I said, "You didn't have to be a little black girl on the playground." So you, how dare you say I identify as a black woman? Like unless you even had that experience, I mean, I felt so emotional about it because I, you know, part of me feels like you had to survive it. So in second grade, I remember. There was this group of girls and there were black girls in this group, but they were, I mean, they were bullies and I've always been more of a lone wolf. I'm just, I'm on Joy Island most of the time. And I, and I've always liked the outcast. I've always been that person. I'm friends with the other outcast. Um, I, I had a friend and she was Filipino. And I remember, I think I gravitated towards a lot of Filipino girls because they were also kind of brown. You know, yep. they, they had color. So yeah. just the same as why Princess Jasmine was my favorite princess growing up because... She looked like us. Yes. That's like, that's who yeah. I had. And I remember one day she came to school and she just wasn't hanging out with me. And she said, I can't hang out with you anymore because I'm Filipino and you're black. And I was like, what? But here's the thing. She left me to start hanging out with two other black girls. <laughs> like... So were you not black enough or were you too black? I have no idea. Actually, these girls were darker than me at the time. But I don't, I still, I think that the girl who, she was white, the 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 main B, the, well, not B, but you know, like the yeah. queen B is what I meant. <laughs> not the other B. Um, she, I think she told her to say that. And that's why she said it. And everyone really liked this girl because she was the popular girl in the class. And my parents were so great about instilling self, uh, self-confidence self in me that I I always had a problem with those Queen Bee type of girls because they always try to pull me down and I never right. went down. And I remember they used to tell, oh, you're ugly. So one day I had enough and I went to the bathroom and I looked at myself and I went, you're ugly. And then immediately I went, no, you're not. I mean, like immediately, which is kind of like, no, why am I saying this to myself? So, I mean, I got called the N-word in fourth grade by a a boy who was my friend. I was just annoying him. He had headphones on and I was singing with friends. And he was like, he's like, shut up, stupid black girl, you in. And I went home and told my mother, but I didn't even understand the gravity of, I, I was more like, oh, he called me stupid. Like, I yeah. thought that was bad. And, uh, you know, so I definitely had those experiences. Or, you know, when you're reading To Kill a Mockingbird and they're saying then we're in yeah. class and everyone's kind of like looking at you like awkward. Yeah. And they're reading it like, I'm sorry I'm saying this or, you know. Oh, that's interesting. The I'm sorry I'm saying yeah. this. Oh, yeah. White guilt is a thing. It's a thing. Oh. Yeah. It's, it was just hashtag white guilt people. Yes. And I mean, but they could have not read it or. I, I think it's a school requirement. I think everybody reads right. it now. But okay. But so you had to read aloud. So yeah. it was like. I feel you. And that was in, that was seventh grade. I mean, I remember all these instances and I remember they go kind of go by like a blip and when you're in the moment, but then when you reflect, you're kind of like, Ooh, that really could have damaged me. Well, yeah. Especially now when you're older and you see it so much more and you're like, Mm -hmm. how does this shape young children? Mm -hmm. Um, So you've talked a lot in this just now about otherness. Mm -hmm. Do you remember your very first experience of otherness that really shaped you where you're like, somebody has made me feel different in a way that has made me feel like I'm not enough? I, you know, I think my entire existence has been that way, but not in the way that I feel that I'm not enough, but that people assume that I'm not. Mm. But I I haven't had I mean, I think it's a privilege to be able to walk around for a little bit even. Yep. And not realize that you're other like that's pretty awesome. But I don't have a moment 
I mean, other than in second grade when she said, I can't be your friend, but I was more just confused as to why she couldn't be my friend because I was black and the other girls were black. I didn't yeah. understand that. Uh, but yeah, I, yeah, I haven't been, there hasn't been a specific instance because it has, it has been my entire experience, but it's not one that I would take back because I really, I love my otherness. So yeah. I, like, I think it's something to be proud of and I think we all should, I, and everyone is technically other, right? None of us are, are alike in that way. So yeah. um, I, we need to celebrate our differences. My my biggest problem with diversity is that people feel like it's something that you have to um, navigate around instead of just celebrate. I think everyone should just celebrate it. Diversity shouldn't be an issue. We don't all need to be the same. We don't need to skate around issues of race, but we do need to, we need to bring those things to the table. We need yep. to acknowledge them, but then we can move on. Yep. We don't have to, we don't have to harp on it all the time. But the reason why we're forced to harp is because things like Jordan Edwards are happening and like people are dying because of it. Yeah. If we were more upfront about it, we talked about things that made us uncomfortable. Maybe less people would quite literally stop dying over this. So I'll tell you what, with the, the goal of this podcast was I was tired of turning on Facebook and seeing the negativity. Yeah. And here's the other thing that you see with it when we get super obsessed with diversity and quote unquote inclusion. Mm -hmm. And we talk about addressing race issues mm -hmm. and social in injustices and inequality. Mm -hmm. We then become like them. Yes. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you what. I I know somebody who's really become super brown. Mm -hmm. I mean, sh you know, she's playing that brown card so hard now well, we in ways yeah. that she hasn't to the <laughs> point that all she ever talks about is white people did this to me and white people yes. that. And I'm like, uh, I'm like, do you not listen to what you're saying? You spew even worse the same hate that's coming to you yep. and you've blanket categorized people yep. as white people, Trumpsters. I mean, being a Trumpster is not a race. Right. Being a Trumpster is a political ideology right. and not even one that's reflective of the party that he was elected, that he represents. Right. It is a radicalization. That's like saying yeah. like, oh, all Muslims are terrorists. No, exactly. radical Islam is a thing, <laughs> yes. right? And so with this podcast, we have done our best to avoid, not only just avoid that, but our goal here is to talk about elevating. It's called yes. rising for a reason. Mm -hmm. We're raising the level of consciousness, that, of yeah. conversation. Mm -hmm. We want to know how are you impacting your feminism, your community through music, through mm -hmm. art, through what you create, through who you are in the world. Mm -hmm. And I agree with you. It has, I'm really tired. And now I feel like I'm the one telling people sometime, like, really, did you just pull the race card on me? Yes. <laughs> or when people do it to me and they go, oh, you're, you're not brown enough to have a brown girl podcast. Well, the, I think the hard part is because in some ways, yes, you are a victim of the mm. system. Like in some ways, yes, you are, but yes. you cannot let that define you. And you can choose to change this for yourself yes. and others. Well, yeah, and active, I mean, activism is, yes, going out and, and, and being an activist for your cause, but you can also do that on a personal level. You can be an advocate for yourself yeah. and show people that, hey, you, you have this idea about my entire, like use, use people... Uh, looking at you as a figurehead for your race to your advantage mm -hmm. like use that don't don't I, I think it's kind of idealistic to to expect that everyone's just going to get along with everyone always and then you're just going to be fine and there's you're you're and then yeah exactly so anyway I think I did not finish my thought. Hold on. No, no, no. But I want to expand on this thought for just a second because you talk about it is good to be a figurehead to those that you inspire. Yeah. Who have been figureheads that have inspired you? Person, book, combo. Ooh. So I grew up dancing and mm. I danced for Debbie Allen. Okay. So she's definitely one of my, it's funny, when I was in third grade, I loved Debbie Allen and I ended up obviously meeting her and dancing in her, um, st with her studio for seven years. And she was just always a very strong woman about her business. Um, she was, I remember more than anything that people respected her and that's okay. what I wanted. I wanted, I wanted to do something one day where people respected me for my craft um, yes. and be multi-talented. Obviously, Michelle Obama, because oh, because she's Michelle Obama. I mean, there's just <laughs> I'm with you. She's she, there are a few people where you just sit there and you go, "Gosh, you're my everything." For me, that's Michelle Obama, Beyonce, oh yeah, Gina Davis. 
Oh, that's a good I am a big Gina Davis fan because of what she's done with uh, Mount St. Mary's and the Commission for the Status of Women. Right. And funded it, personally funded to help advance women and disadvantaged groups as it relates to women and children across societal racial inequalities, the wage gap. I'm getting chills talking about it. Fantastic work that does not get enough attention. Mm -hmm. Condoleezza Rice. Oh. I am obsessed with Condoleezza Rice and her sister who was city attorney um, at the time or worked for the district attorney's office that helped bring the Rodney King trial to trial. The officers. Did you know that? No. Obsessed with her. If you are listening by some miracle or any of our listeners (laughs) know them, we would love to get the Rice sisters sisters on this podcast and or our conference because I would fangirl so hard. And Condi, if you're listening to this, please run for president because we need you to fix the Republican Party desperately. (laughs) Yeah, it needs some help. It needs some help on that. Please end. come save us yeah. before we go off the brink of existence and we become crazy pants. Yeah, the struggle is real. I, you know, I'm not happy about Donald Trump's pregnant pregnancy. Wow, presidency. presidency. Yes, <laughs> but I do. I think that it happened for a reason. I think that it opened a lot of eyes, and for that, I'm grateful. I'm grateful yep. for the conversations that it has encouraged and so. forced us to have. Forced. Did not realize we were still so backwards and that people still hated us so much. I did. I 100% (laughs) did. No one believed me. So now it's like hard. It's hard to fight. But even down to his um, the locker room talk. Oh, yeah. We we had a conversation. So we got together. It was shortly after the Alton Sterling shootings. um, And we were it was a group of young black professionals and we were having a discussion and somehow uh, it talked, uh, yeah, it was Alton Sterling, Sterling Philando Castile. And I, I don't know if it was right after, but we were still reeling, I remember. And somehow the locker room talk thing came up and the conversation took a turn towards feminism. And there were, I think, four men in the room and five or six women. And we were all explaining to them the struggles we have as women. And these are black men mind you. So they understand oppression. They understand being other. They understand all these things, but they couldn't wrap their head around how what they do as men affects our safety as women. Like the things we they talk about amongst themselves, how that encourages toxic masculinity. They could not understand. And and by the time we got to the end of, of the conversation, they were a little bit more willing, but they were so defensive. They were like, oh, no, but we're not like that. And I said, but you guys sound like when we try to tell a white person about the black experience and and you immediately feel like, oh, you're attacking me as a person. No, yeah. no, that's not what we're doing. We're just saying that you still have a responsibility. I think people like to deny the responsibility that they have as a member of society. Yeah to make the world a better place. So I, it was just very interesting. Uh, and that's also another reason why I'm grateful for our podcast. I call it um, marriage uh, counseling every week because we learn things about each other. So we were able to kind of flesh out that conversation on the podcast. And like I said, this is my husband. This is someone I love, someone I know intimately. And we've been together for almost 10 years now. And he still didn't fully understand my struggle as a woman. Yeah. Like, that's really crazy to think about. Like, really yeah. think about that. Oh, it is. Yeah. Um, this is going to sound horrible, but speaking of, and I know we don't want to bring her up, Rachel Dozel. Sorry, I go <laughs> okay. back to this. Speaking of struggles people don't understand, we were talking about her in the office, mm-hmm. and we had somebody who was visiting us, and another team member had brought it up, and it was like, whatever that day was that she had gone on that interview, and it was like flooded on everybody's feeds. Mm-hmm. And somebody said, well, how can you falter? It's like when, and I, this is not me saying this, people. This is me repeating a conversation from somebody else. This is hearsay over here. This person said, well, it's like transgendered people. They just identified as something else when they were growing up and had to really go there. And I go, so you're telling me that we can now be transracial? Yeah, that's not a thing. That's not a thing. That doesn't exist. And this person literally goes, I think we're not truly understanding with how she identifies and was trying to school me on this experience. And I go, um... That's not real. No. It's like reverse racism. Yeah. Reverse racism doesn't exist. No. Transracial 
I, I no. can't even. You can't I cannot decide even. Be, it, it has to be equal, right? So if she can decide to be a black person, then I need to be able to decide to be a white person. And then yes. it needs to be recognized by society. Yes. And not I little will, Kim status. Yeah, right. Just bleach the crap out of your skin. And Poor then, little like, Kim. I used to love her. I don't know what happened. Spread love. What a real mob do. Right. Oh, <laughs> she went from like my everything I give not a single care in the world about who you are to suddenly giving a lot of cares about everybody else and morphing into, you know. Well, that's why they say don't meet your idols because I think everyone's a little bit more messed up than you think they are. (laughs) That's true. Yeah. So, yeah, trans Rachel's not a thing. There's an episode of Atlanta, though, and I I think this was hilarious about a guy who, do you watch, have you guys seen Atlanta? Okay. So, anyway, it's very much, Donald Glover said he wants it to be like Twin Peaks for black people, right? Just kind of like the kind of odd scenario type situation but anyway so there's a guy and he identifies as transracial he goes i'm a white man and it's like this big black dude and (laughs) he's like yes i'm I'm a white man i'm gonna have the surgery and so like (laughs) he does the surgery but all they do is like you know he puts on like a button up and he's like walking around just he kind of changes his demeanor a little bit but he's not i mean he's just a black so it's not like white chicks no 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 but it's just like a commentary on how that does not exist you can't you just simply can't do it there's no such thing as transracial so yeah i just like stop it I'm dying. I am dying. I The few people that I've told that story to have all given me the, well, how do you respond to that? And I go, well, at some point, sometimes I agree with you. Sometimes you really have to call people on their ish and be mm-hmm. like, no, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. But this was so left field that I just sat there and I think I was more in shock. Yeah. But I also sat there and was like... I don't even want to go down this path with you because I'm going to get, I'm going to blow up. I'm going to get in your face in a way that just, I can't come back from. So let me save myself from you and Mm -hmm. call this experience donezo. Yeah. And And now it's for good stories. You got to know who you're messing with. So that includes with yourself. You should know who who your friends are. Don't expect more of your friends and who they have shown you to be. Mm. And I always say that with when you know thyself, right? Yeah. <laughs> so if you feel like you're going to blow up or this, you're not going to be able to serve the conversation in a way that is productive, then back away. Back oh. away. You did the right thing. <laughs> now, had I been there? <laughs> because I do, I, you know, I, people do need to be schooled. That's unacceptable. Oh, they it's absolutely do. Trans racist or no, racial. I'm sorry, transracial. Trans-racial. What would you trans racist be? Somebody who's no longer racist? Like I actually <laughs> NPR. I was list- I was in an Uber stuck in traffic and NPR is on and they're interviewing somebody who's an ex-clan member oh, talking yeah. about how he had beaten a black man mm-hmm. and you know what his thoughts were and how he now has like some type of nonprofit or something that like serves inner city youth. And oh, I'm wow. like and I'm listening to this story and I'm like Good for you. And he was mainly talking about the brainwashing of the Klan. Right. And now this was interesting. It's a real thing, by the way. Okay, this is very interesting because he's telling this story and it reminded me of what it's like to be in a gang. Where mm. they go, we're here to take care of you. You're yeah. right. No one's looking out for you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to look out for you. Mm-hmm. The same thing that, you know, certain uh, radical religious cults do. Yeah. You look at radical Islam. Uh, do you know that ISIS, people that are in like ISIS get yeah. like life insurance and health what? insurance, health insurance, excuse me, that's what it is. They sit really? there and they offer benefits and health insurance. I actually read this. Um, Interesting. Because they're going to blow you up. Right. You're literally going to blow up as a suicide bomber. But don't worry, until you do that, we're going to provide these things for you because the Muslim nation is not. So they're sitting here using this same mentality of desensitizing people like they do in cults, right? Mm -hmm. Like the Manson experience. Mm -hmm. No one cares about you, but I do. Mm -hmm. I'm here to manipulate you, lend a helping hand, be the the father figure, the role model that you never had. And I am here to show you that you fit in. Mm -hmm. If you only think like us a little more. And Mm -hmm. these people, they have done this to you. This is why your experience is like this, Mm -hmm. right? And he's sitting there telling the story and I literally sit here and think back to my childhood and go, this is how gangs recruit Mm -hmm. young cholos. 
Yep. This is how they recruit you. Yeah. Because you're isolated. You're already a little bit off. Nobody is looking out for you. You're vulnerable. Yeah. Probably don't have parent figures at home. And that's how they recruit, recruit young kids. Right. It is just like that. And he, so my point to this is he's telling this story and his story of redemption. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting here going like, okay, you're telling me you don't believe this, but you're also telling me that you don't have any like regret or negative feelings that's just who you were at that time Mm -hmm. and now you've grown and you're so whatever and I'm just sitting here going like who screens these people like how does this get to be a conversation that we have that we're now hearing all sides of the story right but like no no sorry but this is a real person who exists in the world. You can't be revert. <laughs> what do we say? You can't be trans racist. Right. You can't suddenly not be racist anymore. Right. Like maybe, maybe you've been educated right. and your position has changed, but that mm-hmm. doesn't mean you weren't a racist before. Acknowledge it. Right. Yeah. You can't just not be who you were. I do believe that growth is a very real thing. And also to your point about, I think all organized groups practice that in yes. some way. And that's why I even, I tell people even on our last show, I said, I think that it is healthy to even, it's question your belief system, your values, every question, everything question. So we're a Christian. I said, question why you believe in God even, because I don't think like, if somebody asked me now, why do you love or believe in God? I can completely say, Oh, okay. Well, uh, this is exactly why, because I've, I've found out for myself what my relationship is. It wasn't because somebody told me, oh, you should love God just because, like, and that's it. But I don't think that's enough reason uh, for anything. So I, I tell people all the time, question, 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 question. Don't ever just blindly take things at face value. Yeah. So even if somebody's like, I'm going to take care of you, question why? Like, what's the price you're paying for that? Ooh. Yeah, like every time. Yes. Yeah. Oh, racial tensions. I'm telling you, these things, they just, it's everywhere. Um, And I'll tell you, okay, so here's something that's interesting. The emergence of media that is now catering Mm -hmm. to different groups, right? Right. We do Brown Girls Rising. Here's another part of Brown Girls Rising. We're tired of the media not showing us people that look like us or they're giving us a very sanitized and whitewashed version of our own Latinidad, right? Right, right. You've recently announced a partnership with Blavity. Yes. And Blavity has been, I hate when people describe it as things like the black BuzzFeed. Right. Or when somebody, uh, Me Too, right? Is yeah. when people go, oh, it's the Latino or Mexican BuzzFeed. Right. I'm like, people stop comparing it to white BuzzFeed. <laughs> it's just blavity. It's right. amazing. We love it. Just it puts it in layman's terms for people. Because I know. Do but do know what but BuzzFeed is. I know. But, but why I do, do we have it. to be like, we've, just, we've just made this a racial BuzzFeed. Right. Um, but shout out to Blavity before you tell us the details of this mm-hmm. partnership because we had a fantastic person from the Blavity team at our November conference on a specific panel called How to Create Countercultures that are mainstream. So it's counterculture for just mm-hmm. a little bit, but you're turning it into a mainstream movement. Right. Um, and so we love the work that Blavity does. We are huge fans, and I was so excited to hear about your partnership. Tell our audience about it. Well, I love the Blavity team. They're really sweet over there, and they're really – they're passionate about – portraying our culture in a positive light and even when we had our meetings with them they were just like okay look you guys are a couple but there's enough there's enough trash out there right this is this is me saying this but there's a there's enough uh there's enough negativity so it our our pitch was more to be a beacon of light right and hope and how you can actually navigate a relationship in a healthy way right if you look at a lot of the vine stars even they're doing all this stuff to diss women not all the Vine stars are black men, but there's a couple black men who, and I've met a couple that are actually really nice, but that's just, that's their niche, right? It's like, oh, when you find out she has a boyfriend and they like, you know, maybe push her in the forehead or whatever, like they're hitting on her at first, but then find out she's not available. And then, yep. So, okay. So that's the kind of, we're kind of saturated with that right now. So we wanted to come along and kind of talk about what it really takes. What are some things you can actually do to, to be successful in relationships? So, our, our first episode is actually it was actually about celibacy because we were we were Ooh, sexually active for the first four and a half years of our relationship, and then the last three and a half years we were not. So uh, until we got married, and which was an experience for us, it, it, it was a great experience. But we got to learn about each other, and I I bring this up a lot too when uh, Justin said. 
I lust for your soul. And he meant Ooh. it. Yes. Right, girl? <laughs> If no one has Let's ever told clap you that. for Justin, and he may you find it. a man who tells you this in life, ladies, yes. because that, that, mm-hmm. I can't even right now. Yes. I mean, I, I have chills talking about it because he meant it. He looked me in my eyes. Like, it was just when you remove oh. that sexual part of your relationship because it's such an outlet for us. We are sexual beings. You need to have sex. It's not something that you should deny yourself. Um, mm. I mean, unless you're practicing celibacy, <laughs> then you kind of have to. But through doing that, we discovered different ways to be intimate and we became truly best friends. We know each yeah. other inside and out because you don't realize, like, if you're mad, you have sex, you're frustrated, you have sex, you're really happy, you have sex. You're just feeling really attracted to the person. You have sex, you appreciate them, you have sex. You don't realize how much you have sex. It's just, it's just a lot of things are expressed through sexual gratitude. So removing that allowed us to communicate on a different level. So I'm just infinitely grateful for that experience. So that was our first episode with Blavity, us just kind of talking about our experience with that and how we got into it. And our, this latest episode is how to navigate social media within relationships, which I found out he still doesn't know how to do because he says something about sliding into DMs. I was like, what? <laughs> I slid in. Let me tell you, I slid into the DMs this morning. You want to know this story? <laughs> yes, I do. Actually, Okay. So my friend Patrice. Mm-hmm. Hi, Patrice. I love you. She... Let me pull this up. She posted a friend's picture. Mm-hmm. And this woman is a Compton-based business called Beans and Bars Coffee. Mm-hmm. And she had this incredible photo of Tupac on her mug. And it was like, basically like, you know, your mug, like your face uh, on a coffee mug. But they're right. illustrations of Biggie and Tupac. Nice. And they're amazing. I slid into that. So I went over and I said, hey, Patrice, can you make an introduction to your friend? She hadn't even seen my DM. And I was like, screw it. So I went and followed this person. (laughs) She followed me back and I immediately hit her up and was like, this is really thirsty. But I just saw my friend Patrice post your mug. I'm obsessed with this. Um, (laughs) Hi, grew up Compton adjacent. I love what you're doing. And I love how you're tying like local Artists that have that come Compton up, right? Adjacent. Yes. Com- well, I grew up in North Long Beach. Literally right. two streets over was Compton. Right. Okay. It was where Compton, Paramount, Rancho Dominguez, and North Long Beach all met in that okay. same like corner. My family's in Compton Carson. Yeah. What? Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, I love what you're doing. I think this is the dopest thing ever. Like, I would love for you to be on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Would you be interested? And I'm like, P.S., please pardon my extra thirsty DM because I just flooded you with a ton of information <laughs> at like 7.15 in the morning. And she was like, and you know, she told me, she was like, honey, it's not thirsty. This is how you slide into DMs. Oh and I'm like, because it's true. Honestly, like, I hear what you're saying about his comment, but I will say this. My best connections have come because I slide into that DM and I act like a guy. This is what I do. I go back and I like your photos a bunch in a row. So you see that I'm looking at you and then I'm like, hey, girl, what's up? I love what you're doing. You want to be on my podcast? I love that. I'm literally like a guy. That's like girlhood sliding into the DM. I like that. Hashtag girl crush. Yeah, like I'm all for that. But like for him to say it, I wasn't into it. But I'm like, you're sending a message? Yeah. Yeah, if you're sending a message, that's fine. But I consider sliding into the DM when you're like, hey, girl, how you doing? Which is what you're doing. Oh, it totally. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, hey, girl, I see <laughs> you. Yeah. I see you with that selfie. I see you on I your game. Like Maybe I need to be a little better about sliding into the DM. I, I will, like, admire you from afar. I'm that person. <laughs> then I'll, like, show my friends, like, have you seen this person? <laughs> well, I do that, too. But at some point, you have to. Yeah. And I'll tell you what. Some of our biggest people that we've gotten have come through a DM where you're just like, I love your content. I love what you do. And here's the other thing. They start to get familiar with you, even us, right? right. You look at your followers on Instagram mm-hmm. or Twitter, and even if they haven't engaged with you for a while or they haven't engaged yet, you know who's always liking your photos. Oh, yeah. I've got a few people that I call them the thirsty ones, that they're the first, first one, one to tap on every photo, <laughs> first one to view my content. Uh. And they're awkward. Like, I'll see them at events, and they won't come say hi to me. And I'm like, I know it's you. Yeah. You see me. You're Snapchatting me right now. Right. Like, you're going to fangirl me. But you should just come up yeah, to me because I want to. I want to know you. Yeah. Like, thank you for recognizing what we do, and thank you for telling me that you like it or show. Here's the other thing. That means You're so much. Showing me that you like it. Tell me what I'm doing right so that yeah. I can do more of it and why you like it, so I can find more like you because you're my tribe. People right. want to know that. So I agree. There is no shame in sliding through into the DM. I want to go back to the sexual conversation just for a second. Absolutely. Let's okay. Do it. <laughs> so. 
Um, I am a very dominant personality. Okay. I have often been told by boyfriends, oh, you're very sexual because you're Latina, which don't make me stab you in the face, right. homie. Like, I will take my very pointy acrylic nails and poke you in the eyeballs. Right. Um, but I had an experience with two different guys that I had dated in the past. And both of them, I mean, they wanted me, right? Mm-hmm. We both wanted this. But yeah. when it came to the bedroom, couldn't perform. And one of them actually oh, used wow. the phrase. He was like, you make me kind of nervous. Like, I get performance anxiety <laughs> with you. And I'm like, does this normally happen? Has this happened before? Oh. And it became a thing where he was like, I wanted you, especially one of them told me, he was like, I want you so bad. Like, all the time. But then when you're actually in front of me, I get really nervous around you. And then he couldn't do it. And literally, we could have been a thing. But the sex was such a problem. I mean. Well, and that's a problem. We tried to have sex like eight or nine times. And not (gasps) a single time could we do it. And I was like, I'm so frustrated. I feel bad for him right now. (laughs) I mean, I feel bad for him. And we're still good friends. But it was one of those things where it was like. And I had to tell him, like, if we can't, if you can't get over this. And you're like fangirling me or fanboying me in your life. Like. I'm a real person. Mm-hmm. You want me. Like, mm-hmm. I know you want me. Vice versa. Like, right. let's do this. But I made him nervous. And so I'll tell you what it was. I was telling a friend this. And she goes, it's because you're too aggressive as a woman. You got to tone down. Nope. Yup. <laughs> and then, okay. You my whole, I have the full pub. Like, she what? went, no, you didn't. Yeah. Hold on. But I'll tell you what. So that happened. Somebody else that I was dating, I had a very similar experience. And he goes, well, you're very intimidating, Audrey. I didn't think I was really going to get you. And then I did. And now I'm like, oh, shit, I got Audrey Dulles. <laughs> and I literally sat here and he goes, you're just a lot. You're a lot to handle. And I and? actually, okay, I wish I had had that response in my head. I got so stuck in my head. I was like, maybe it is me. Maybe I'm too much. Right? Oh. They're too little. <laughs> well, and, and, yes. and not size-wise. Right, but right. you know what I mean? Where you just sit here and you go, okay, somebody else's shortcomings are their own insecurities, right? right. You can't get sucked into somebody else's no. insecurities. And you can't do anything about it. Mm. But it happened like twice. And I go, oh, no. I can understand, though, at that point I was, where you're like, is it me? Yeah. Is it me? Like, mm-hmm. am I too much? And then you meet the right person and it's not too much, mm-hmm. right? Because they're, they see you. They want you. It's everything. It's you connect on all levels. Right. But the, um, uh, from a sexual point of view, like as you're exploring relationships, like I think back all my sexual relationships have been very different with different partners. Mm-hmm. And usually the best ones are the ones that were the most like dysfunctional relationships. Cause like you said, back to your That's point, how you express we, yeah. not only that, when it comes to worthiness, cause this is a worthy women project. When you don't feel that you're worthy enough, you numb. And mm-hmm. by numbing too much, or excuse me, avoiding facing things, a lot of people numb with sex to yeah. either feel attachment or numb out because mm-hmm. they, they're trying to prove some type of a point right. of what they can do without attachment. Right, right. Yeah, that's true. So the question is for you guys as you're exploring topics and, mm-hmm. you know, this podcast is about being a feminist. How has your feminism changed and evolved, especially in a thing like practicing celibacy for a while i remember when i was engaged i had a broken engagement Mm -hmm. my fiance when we when he proposed to me said i don't want to have sex with you anymore until we get married granted i didn't know he was cheating on me with other people so it was fine for him but i actually remember feeling so unwanted and i remember thinking and i remember telling him this i said i wish you would come to me and say audrey i want you so bad i'm so hard right now like (laughs) i just want to blow a load like you i want you and I literally can't because we've chosen to do this. Then I would feel wanted, but he seemed to have no issue with it. And mm. I remember feeling like I was struggling and struggling alone with it um, uh, and how to express and not yeah. feel feminine. I mean, bigger picture, obviously, we now know what he was doing. No wonder he had right. no problem was, with it. But there is a reason. Yes. But how has your feminism changed over the years, especially right. as you explore things like sexuality, relationships? Right. Okay. Are. So here's the interesting thing. I was a much more sexual being when I was younger. Uh, I I don't know if it was more, I had less stress or whatever. I just, I was more of a tiger, if you will. Just like all all day, every day, like let's just, let's have this. And then, you know, when celibacy came along, it wasn't that I wasn't like that anymore, but it just felt, I felt strongly that 
you know, we needed, we needed to slow our roll and, and Justin did too. We were on the same page and that was important. And when we were celibate, we would say things like, if we were having sex, this is what I would want to do to you right now. Like we, yeah. we definitely had those conversations and I'm all for being honest. Even now, a couple of shows back, Justin was talking about how because of his stresses at work, he's been so grumpy. I mean, so grumpy, like grumpy bear, grouchy. And because of that, it kind of just turned me off sexually. Like I had no desire to like, I'm like, you can't be grouchy and then expect me to want to jump your bones. I just didn't want to. Right. Um, But then I had to be honest about that. And I started feeling like, well, maybe something's wrong with me because I don't want to, Mm -hmm. I'm not really feeling like I want to do anything sexually. I was just kind of like the off button had been turned on. I was just like, okay, well, I'm stressed. He's stressed. That's the thing. I got a yoni egg because I was like, maybe I need to wake awaken my sacred place. Have you seen the yoni eggs? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we have a friend who sells them. In okay. fact, Stasha, so we'll put the link in this again, but mm-hmm. Stasha Washburn is the period coach and mm-hmm. she helps entrepreneurial women run through your business while you're on your cycle. Oh. So things like understanding like during this week of your cycle, your hormones will be at this level. Yes. Therefore, you sh- you're you yeah. more likely to do X, Y, Z. Like these are the weeks you plan your big meetings. This is the week that maybe you just do some office That's time by huge, yourself. That's huge, by the way. And it's, it's transformational. Yeah. We know several people have gone through it. She's um, been a passworthy women speaker and she's a big uh, fan of Yoni? Yoni. Yon, uh, well, I don't know. I think it's Yoni. But Either way, the eggs know. that go up your cooch. Yeah. Um, they're crystal, crystal eggs. They're crystals. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she's talked a lot about them. And we have a friend from BWOM, which is how to enhance women's reproductive health and particularly strengthening the pelvic floor, which I didn't even know was a thing. Yes. Uh, and then I felt stupid and ignorant when I discovered it and realized so many people I knew who had issues with their pelvic floor. And I'm sitting, because we have friends all having kids right now. Mm-hmm. And I sat there and I was like, I'm such a bad friend. It's like when people, uh, when you're like insensitive to somebody else's experience, right? Yeah. Whether it's racially or something else. Yeah. Ignorance you, is ignorance. You you exactly. You don't know. I was that person. Exactly. Yeah. I That I understand. Understand. God, and I think back to my friends who had babies when we were younger and I'm like, God, I really was not there for you, but I didn't know how to be. I was a kid too. Yeah. But back to bedroom issues, I, I, I'm really, I'm in a phase where I'm, I'm always, I'm constantly finding myself, but I find that lately I've been kind of diff- tuning back into my sensual side because I lost her for a little bit, didn't realize it. But mm. I think even through celibacy and then getting married again, because are not getting married again, getting married. Uh, when we started becoming sexually active again, I was trying to pace myself. And Justin was looking at me like, what are you doing? Like, we were just celibate forever. Yeah. Like, let's be rabbits. And I was kind of like, well, I don't want to set us up because I'm like, we're in this thing forever. I don't want you expecting we're going to be you know, banging it out all the time for like e- all of eternity. So I was like, well, let me set a realistic expectation once, twice a week. And then in his mind, he's like, it's once a month because he's a man and he thinks they have no perception of time when it comes to sex. Sorry <laughs> to you, see. But so I just, I, I don't know. I'm actually still figuring that out. And I'm not ashamed to say it because I, I was for a second because I thought, oh God, I'm broken sexually, but I'm I'm not. I'm just in a figuring it out phase again and trying to figure out what makes me tick, what gets me going. Uh, for me, it's, it's him being kind to me. Also me taking care of myself. Like if I'm eating right and I'm exercising, I'm taking care of my mental health. I'm good. If I don't, if I'm not doing any of those things, I'm not. So that's, I mean, on a feminist level, I guess, just going back to putting yourself, making yourself a priority, not making my husband a priority in the bedroom. I mean, he is too, obviously, because he's my partner, but I really, I need to make sure that I'm checking off all my boxes. And then he's obviously checking off all his boxes and we're checking off our together box and then we can come together in the middle. And truly, I think exploring your femininity in a way that is um, honest and authentic to you, Mm -hmm. right? And that's a big thing that I think 
too often as we discuss feminism, femininity tends to be the first thing that goes out the window, right? Because mm-hmm. we're just sitting here talking about like, I'm just trying to scrap together my basic rights. Right, like, right. And I still got to be, you know, explore right. that. And I don't mean femininity and like you wear dresses in pink. Right. I mean, in your soft side, in mm-hmm. your sensual side, mm-hmm. in your intimacy, mm-hmm. in who you are and how you show up to receive and experience the world. Mm-hmm. Joy, I could talk to you all day. It has been such a pleasure having you. Uh, where can our audience find you? On Instagram and Twitter, I am at Joyleybean. That's J-O-Y-L-E-E-B-E-A-N. And Facebook, we're, what is it? Facebook.com backslash AskLoveJays. I love it. And we will put all the links in the wrap up here so you guys can click through. And you can find me at Audrey Bellis. This has been Brown Girls Rising. This episode of Brown Girls Rising was recorded at Maker City LA in sunny downtown Los Angeles. We hope it's inspired you. For more, visit browngirlsrising.com. Follow us socially on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Worthy Women LLC and at Brown Girls Rising for future episodes. Until next time.